So there was a, a person from North America was on vacation, and the country in which he was vacating, or vacationing, he found to be terribly slow. It was a really laid-back kind of a culture, and things didn't happen when they were supposed to happen. And day after day, he became increasingly frustrated with this. And he was sarcastically talking to the person at the front desk. And he said, um, you know, in, in some cultures, they say manana. I mean, about things they can't do or won't do for a day or two. They'll just say manana, manana. So the traveler said, do you have a word? for manana in your language? And the guy behind the desk sort of thought for a moment, and he said, manana, manana. I don't think we have a word that connotes quite that sense of urgency. One of the things that is frustrating about God, what sake? Frustrating about God? Well, well, yeah, from human perspectives. One of the things that is frustrating is that God is not in a hurry. And a lot of times we are in a hurry. But as we watch um, God's activities over the thousands of years, and as we consider his involvement in our lives, it dawns on us that God's not in a hurry. In fact, if we look at the the history of the Bible, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a period of 400 years when God did not say anything. 400 years. So after a few thousand years of the Old Testament history, God was quiet. He, he didn't show up. He didn't speak. He, he was just silent. And we, we read in the Bible about God's ways not being our ways and God's thoughts not being our thoughts. We read that with God, a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And so we get it, that God is not in a hurry. But it's really important for us to learn that. Because the upside of that characteristic of God is God's patience and his uh, long-suffering and those things that are beautiful about his relationship with with his humankind. We're beginning a a series today um, called Against All Hope, which comes from Romans chapter 4. And as as Paul sort of explores Abraham's faith, sandwiched into the middle of this passage, he uses this phrase, against all hope. And it's a beautiful way to characterize Abraham's life of patient faith. So let me read to you from Romans chapter 4 and uh, just make some comments about this passage this morning. Here's what I read. In hope against hope, he believed. That's the way my translation Um, renders against all hope. In hope against hope, he believed. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And we say, wait a minute, really? He did not waver in unbelief? Um, And when we go back to the story of Abraham, we find that at the very beginning, when he hears from God, he, he, he really can't believe what he's hearing. Um, and yet, as Paul remembers it, he says he didn't waver in unbelief, even though he was 100 years old and his wife's womb was barren. In fact, when, when Abraham told Sarah, or Abram at that point told Sarah that she would have a child, she laughed. And, you know, God was not pleased with her because she laughed at this message. So, in retrospect, the life of Abraham is one that is commended and it it is shown to us as an example of actually catching on that God is not in a hurry. And when we understand that God is not in a hurry to accomplish his purposes, we learn that our proper disposition is to slow down and to hold on and to practice faith. Because as we study the life of Abraham, we will learn that it is primarily a life of faith. His relationship with God, his religious life, was characterized by faith, not by what he could see or prove, but by something that he believed was spoken to him by God And so he exercised faith. And the New Testament tells us that without faith, you can't please God. So as we consider the demeanor of our lives and our disposition, we should look for ways when we can exercise faith, knowing that that was what characterized the life of Abraham, and it is what will please God. So as as we look at this passage, we find that there are two simple things that that we could meditate on this morning, that God has promised some things and that God will perform those things. So we'll ask the question, what has God promised you? And what will God perform for you? And as we sort through those two questions, um, we will use as as kind of a, um, a measure that God is not in a hurry. So if if things do not happen according to our timetable, then we would do well to say, well, things did not happen in Abraham's life in, in f- fast order, and nor do things take place on God's timetable um, as though he were adhering to our timetable. So I want to ask you this morning those two simple questions. What has God promised you? And what will God perform for you? What has God promised you? I, I think that we could answer that question in, in a collective sort of a way. We could go to scripture and we could ask, what has God promised us in the scriptures? Because the life of Abraham is held up to us and Abraham is said to have believed what God promised him and that God would perform what he had promised. So what has God promised all of us? Well, there are a few things that we would probably do well to uncover in Scripture. 
One of them is simply this, the promise of God to never leave us and never forsake us. That's a promise that God has made to all of us and that we can count on God performing. What he has promised, he will perform. That's what Abraham held on to. And one of the things that God has promised us is that he will never leave us, will never forsake us. In fact, the way that the scriptures kind of parse that out is, is a very heavy negative that this says, I, never will I ever leave you, never will I ever forsake you. And that's a wonderful promise that all of us, every single one of us can hold on to and say that no matter what happens, no, no matter what the timing of the events of our lives is, God has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. Many times when I talk with folks, they have a sense that God has left them or has forsaken them. They, they, they look for his presence and, and they don't seem to be able to, to find his presence. And yet, if, if we are to live the lives of faith that would please God, um, one expression of that faith would be to say, I know that what God has promised he will perform, that when he said he will never leave us, will never forsake us. When he has said he will never leave me, will never forsake me, that that is true. And I will hold on to it by faith. Many times in talking with folks after they have come through a time of, of a dark valley, they will say, you know, you know, in the middle of it all, I, I couldn't see where God was or couldn't really have an experience of his presence with me. And yet now when I look back, I realize that he was with me, and now I can see his hand. I can see how he was working circumstances. I, I can see how he did things that were um, seemingly just coincidences, and, and yet they weren't, obviously, because God was there, and, and he has performed what he promised to me. In the scripture, the, there are other great sort of universal promises that God makes his people. And, and when we find those, we need to hold on to them by faith and say, I know God will perform that because he has promised it. So we would think of it, first of all, in, in the sense of a universal promise that God has given to us. But then there are also things that God promises people individually. So in the scriptures, we come across the old man, Simeon. And the text tells us that Simeon had a word from God. He had a promise from God that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And so when he, he met the child Christ, he said, now I can depart in peace because the Lord has performed his promise. God does make promises to individuals. And while we can universally hold on to some promises, um, individually, we can have a look and see, is, is God actually speaking to me? Would God actually speak to me? Would he promise me something like he promised Simeon? Maybe there's some things that you've been praying for for a long, long time, some things that you've been holding on to, and you have a sense that, that God has confirmed that he has a promise for you 
um, specific to your circumstances, specific to your life, to your family, or whatever it is. And and the promises that God gives us would be individual and, and several and, and separate, right? So what God may give to me as a promise would maybe be completely different from what God might give you as a promise. And then we could ask, well, how, how would I know that, that the thing I'm praying for, the thing that I'm holding on to, is a promise from God? How did Simeon know? Well, we're told that the Holy Spirit had told him that he wouldn't see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And the Holy Spirit still brings a word to individuals. How do I know that the thing that I'm holding on to or the promise that I'm daring to cling to is a, pro- is a promise from God by the Holy Spirit? Uh, oftentimes I'll suggest to people that when they believe they have a word from the Lord, um, that they should seek uh, to discern two or three witnesses um, to confirm that word. So when, when someone uh, would say to me that they believe the Lord has a word for me that he has given to them, then I, I might say to them, well, has it been confirmed by two or three witnesses. In the Old Testament, that was the kind of the, the rule of the law courts where a person could be convicted on the basis of two or three witnesses' testimony. And it seems like a wise biblical principle to say if there's something that we need to cling to, something we need to hold on to, it would be good to say, well, this has been confirmed to me by two or three witnesses. And so I will say to people, if, if there is something that you feel God is promising you, um, ask him to be gracious to you by confirming it with another witness or a third witness as well. And sometimes what people are able to say back to me is, is delightful because in different ways, the same promise seems to come to them. Maybe the promise has come in a supernatural kind of way in the first place, in a, a dream or a vision or or just a, a, a strong sense of something in their mind. And then by a completely different medium, God has said something to them that sounds exactly like the promise they believed they heard from him. So maybe they were listening to a sermon. Maybe they were listening to Christian music. Maybe they were talking to a friend. And there was this uncanny experience of that being a familiar refrain that they just heard that sounded just like the promise they've begun to hold on to. So by two or three witnesses, our promises could be confirmed. What has God promised me? What will God perform for me or for you? Um, A lot of us struggle to believe that God really does want to give us promises or make his promises come true in our lives. Uh, We think that it might be for someone else that God would be intending to be kind and gracious, but not to me. He knows the stuff in my life, and there's no way he would want to promise me something. Um, I'm just one person. I'm just, you know, a face in a multitude and I don't think I should be looking for God to perform something that may have come as kind of a promise to me. Well, let me take you to 
um, what Jesus said in John chapter 16. And to just reassure you that even though God may be slow or appear to be slow in performing what he has promised to you, whether it's something that came as a universal promise to all of us or something that maybe has come as a particular promise to you. In John chapter 16, Jesus says a lovely thing. He said, in that day you will ask in my name. And he has said, you know, you can ask anything. And and we know that asking anything is tempered by um, our being in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with, with God's purposes and so on. But Jesus says, in that day you will ask in my name. And and he says, now just a minute, I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That's what would have been expected in that day. In a day of patronage, you would think you could not get access to what you needed unless you can find a patron, someone who has access to the resources you need and would be willing to be your patron. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not promising to be your patron. I, I'm not saying, I will go and ask the Father. So if, if we're looking for a promise from God or uh, a performance of a promise from God, um, Jesus says, you, you need to understand that God loves you himself. He, 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 you don't need to have an agent if you're looking for the performance of a promise. You don't need to find a better person who will talk to God on your behalf. You, you don't even need to go to Jesus and ask him to ask the Father. Because since you have believed me, the Father is delighted with you. And the Father will answer you himself. He will give you the performance of his promises himself. So when we think about this whole matter of, of living by faith, um, it is augmented by the strength of the revelation from God that he loves us dearly and wants to give us good gifts. Uh, again, we, we, we hesitate to ask God for things because we, we, we feel as though, well, someone else should be ahead of me in the queue where someone else is more deserving Someone else is more needful. And, and Jesus would say, but no, hey, hold on. This deal is about the fact that God the Father loves you, and he wants to give you good gifts. And when we think about that, it's just an amazing thing that the God of the universe actually is looking upon us with, with fatherly favor, wanting to bless us and we position ourselves to be blessed by God when we understand how he relates to us and what he would like from us and um, in the Old Testament there's the the covenant and, and God says you will be a blessed people if you keep this covenant all the nations will say you're a blessed people if you if you keep the covenant so keeping covenant is a very important thing. But the grace of God actually overlooks the violation of the covenant. 
And, and now we're able to come to God and understand that we could not keep the law, so we've, we've settled that. And now we've been invited into God's family by grace, not because we're able to keep the law. And, and that's what we're going to learn from Abraham as well. We've been in, invited into God's family by grace. And thereafter, everything in our lives is by grace. Do I deserve anything from God? No. But God is a God who delights to give us good gifts. He is a God who delights to make promises to us and to fulfill those promises. Um, he, he is going to declare things that we can count on him for, universally or even individually, and then he will perform what he has promised to us. God is patient. God is inclined to answer. Now, God is inclined to answer in his time, according to his wisdom. And we become more mature in our faith when we are ready to come to God and say, I, I think I want to ask you for this, but I know that I don't know myself as well as you do. I know that I don't know my circumstances as you do. I know that I don't know the future as you do. And so I ask you for this in faith, believing that you love me and give me good gifts, but believing as well that your timing is better, that um, your provision is finer than what I might have prescribed in, in that which I was asking. And then we understand as well that God is delighted when we live by faith, when we believe and then wait. So Abraham waited. He had waited his whole life long. And then he waited and waited and waited. And God humors him a little bit by saying he didn't waver in faith at all, and yet we know he did. We know he, he um, went to Egypt a couple of times, and we know that he wandered into some half-truths every now and then. Um, we know that it was wobbly for Abraham, and it will be wobbly for us. But it, when we understand that, that God delights in giving us good gifts and he will make these promises and keep them, then we're able to settle back and wait. Wait until the right time. Sometimes God will say no to our request. Sometimes he will say yes. Many, many times he will say wait. And I'm sure there are many people who are listening today and there's something you've been asking for for a long time. And God is saying to you, not no, not yes, but wait. Just hold on. Because in the waiting, there is something about that that pleases God. That when he knows that you're still holding on, you're still trusting, that there are wonderful things that he can do. There are ways that he can just sort of work the pieces um, so that in the end, you're able to look back and say, it, it was good for me to wait. It wouldn't have been good for me to receive my answer right away. It has been very good for me to wait. I have grown. 
other things have happened. And God has proven himself to me. He has shown himself to me. And so I'm able to give him great thanks for that. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed God. So God would would come to us today and say, do you believe me? Have you, have you entrusted your life to me? Have you entrusted your future to me? Have you given over to me the things that you worry about, the things that you're anxious for, the things that you're longing for? Have you given them to me? And having given them to me, can you let go of them and wait? Be patient. Hold on. Because God might say to us, I, I, I may frustrate you by waiting, but it's for my purposes. So if 400 years seemed like a long time to wait, then surely the period of time that you must wait for is less than that and should be acceptable in the economy of whether God does what he promised or not. Will he perform what he has promised to us and to you? So let me end with a little song. Bible college and seminary, and this is what I come up with. It's a little song that you probably know. It says this. Be patient. Be patient. Don't be in such a hurry. If you get impatient, you'll only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times that others had to wait for you. Profound, isn't it? Abraham pleased God. He believed that what God promised, he would perform. And God was delighted with that demeanor. God bless.